Hi there, I am Jen Vasquez, a marketing strategist helping female entrepreneurs go from feeling overwhelmed with trying to grow their business to successfully booking their ideal client. I do this by helping them to market their business with Pinterest and marketing systems to make their life and job easier. And I'd love to help you too. All right, let's get started. Never, never, never. Um, is there any legalese that you want to go ahead and say before I introduce you in the whole nine yards? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Whenever you're in any conversation with a lawyer who's not got you in an office blocked off by yourself, it's always going to be um, kind of general advice, and we're not going to be giving you specific advice for your business. Every business is different. Every business is its own little snowflake. Um, they all have different makeups consideration, things like that. So take everything um, with a nice, I'm just going to say not a little bit of a keen eye towards evaluating it. Is I'm For sure. And if you have any further questions after listening to this episode or, or room that we're in right now, make sure that you connect with your attorney and just confirm the information that you hear because information Caroline might be giving to somebody else, you might think pertains to you, but it absolutely may not pertain to your business in particular. So we definitely, I know, like to be really careful with um, all the legal stuff like that. So (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yes, all that fun stuff. Uh, So I am going to... um, Let's see. <laughs> okay, so Bobby is hysterical as always, and she just sent me a message, and I am going to share it because it's hysterical. She's like, "Tell her not to worry. If she says anything stupid, we'll hook her up with a fabo attorney." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, we might know one. We might know. maybe. <clears throat> I am so excited today. First of all, I Caroline is somebody that I have trusted for a very very long time. I met her sort of officially through the Caitlin James business um, sort of group coaching. It was the first year she did it. So it was all live and it was really wonderful. And, um, and I got the best contract I've ever received from her for this situation. And so um, I also am fortunate enough to um, have her as a client of mine as well. I work with her on her Pinterest stuff. So we're all intertwined. Um, and I, I just appreciate her humor in particular. Um, <laughs> I've never met an attorney who is humorous. I have to be honest. Um, and you're very specific. You're really good with everything you say. Legal advice is sound. Um, but I do, I just love your personality the most. It makes it sort of easier to swallow certain things that we've got to make sure we have in place. So let me just introduce her officially. Caroline of Engaged Legal. She is a hard ass worker. She's a boss babe and a proud member of the Crazy Dog Mom Club. Uh, (laughs) She's an attorney and a former collegiate cheerleader. I think that's why we are so similar, because I was a cheerleader too. And um, she's a proud Richmond, Virginia transplant. 
as well as a recent bride. So she can definitely understand from the other side of our business, right? Uh, she's also a huge fan of small businesses and small. she's a small business owner herself. When she's not filing trademarks, drafting contracts, resolving disputes, or pounding out business deals, you can find her teaching legal seminars to business owners or lecturing on working with creatives or wedding pros in general to other attorneys. She's given seminars at conferences for organizations like Wedding Wire, NACE, WIPA, the Rising Tide Society, a Destination Wedding Planning Conference, and a billion more. Um, she has an excitement for the wedding and a business event industry. She knows that it's a huge accomplishment to be a business owner. And so she's really, really passionate about helping you protect your hard work, that business that you created. Because sadly, businesses are put out of business because they didn't have some legal protections and contracts and things in place. How did I do? <laughs> oh my gosh, you make me sound so much cooler than I am. Oh, you are like the coolest. Don't even kid yourself. <laughs> um, okay, so I would like everybody in the room, please warm up your questions. Think about those burning things that you thought about. I do have a question from Jen um, that I had from the Facebook group. Jen, did you want to pop up and ask it? It says just listening on your picture, so I'm cool if you don't want to, but I wanted to give you the, the option. She's probably in listening mode. So I will go ahead and um, ask her question, I think. I did not put the name of whose question it was, so that doesn't help. I think this is it though. Um, she's asking if we can go over the deposit and retainer working aspect. What is the legal term that covers you? And are there any clauses that we should consider as a small business owner that could come back to bite us if we haven't experienced it? COVID is the only one of a myriad of challenges that have happened um, obviously to most people around um, and with the unexpected deaths and all that kind of stuff. And it feels a tad overwhelming. So I don't know if I exactly read that correctly and Jen just popped out of the room, but it was a big question with a lot of moving parts. Caroline, do you want to try to tackle some of that? Oh my gosh, absolutely. It's a great question. I mean, it's awesome. one of the questions I get asked all the time because it all plays very much into each other. Um, and then this time last year, we really realized how much it plays into each other. So um, let's start out with deposit versus retainer. This is what I'm going to say. Most of the time in legal, you are not going to see specific magic language. Now, that is kind of the case here, but there's something else I want you to use instead. Now, the I'll get to that in a second, but the debate over deposit versus retainer, the strength of that varies by state. And then it also varies by age of the judge, honestly, because at the Ooh. end of the day, what we are trying to show is we are trying to show a judge, convince a judge if we end up in court that a non-refundable amount is meant 
to be compensatory, which means it's meant to compensate you for work you've done or for time you've taken off your schedule or for um, you know missed opportunities. And it's not a penalty for someone canceling a contract. And I say this because um, that kind of a little bit, um, because when you think about canceling contracts, like you would think like, oh, well, they canceled a contract. We want to penalize them. Not in the eyes of the Eastern, uh, the not Eastern, sorry, the Western and old English legal system, actually. We really want people to be able to get in and out of contracts. And I'm going like way back into merry old England. I promise I won't stay here very long. But, um, <laughs> it is kind of the basis for all of this, and that's the groundwork. So we have to deal with the laws in the way that they were drafted, and all laws build on top of each other. So when we think about how to get around this type of thing, we have to say, okay, well, so we want people to be able to get in and out of contracts easily, but we also don't want people to t- be taken advantage of. Yeah. Oh, I think we lost you. Caroline, can you hear me? Hello? See? That's why you need a lawyer. You need a lawyer. That's That's why you need a lawyer. That's why uh, you need a lawyer. Now you're muted, Caroline, so maybe unmute. Sometimes the, you know, clubhouse is not always perfect. So that is kind of (laughs) rude. Okay, so sorry. We just had like the longest pause of no conversation. And I'm not sure what happened. Oh, no. Um, But can you rewind like one sentence worth or two sentences worth? Absolutely. So sorry. No, you're totally fine. It Basically, all I'm saying is we need to make it look like we're not penalizing somebody from, can, from canceling a contract and instead compensating you, the business owner, oh. the one who went out of the way, to um, so you're not being injured. Because we don't like when people are injured. Yeah, um, for sure. So... Oh, in that, that makes, lens, actually, that makes a lot. That makes a lot more sense to me. You right? just cleared up so much because you know everyone when there's a cancellation, it there's a problem usually a big serious problem. Not all the time, but sometimes. And you don't. You're right. You don't want to look like you're penalizing someone for canceling. And yet, especially, well, I know for my situation because I'm a photographer, but not especially. Um, there's a lot of work that gets done ahead of time, even. Right. And if you think about it, the people that are going to be judging this and if it goes to court, who are those people? They are the old crusty white guys that probably have oh, really gosh. never experienced the degree of not only wedding planning generally, but like what it has become, like what events have become. So they are thinking like, oh, I wrote a check and like, you know, people showed up the day of and did their job and they left. Like, no, that's not what happens, old guy. Um <laughs> In our work, in our contract, we have to illustrate that and show that because it's an uphill battle as is. So what I like to do is I like to put my mind in line with the crusty old guy. Um, and I say to myself, okay, the person who's judging this or the person who's going to be adjudicating this is a judge. What were judges? Judges were at one time lawyers. They all were at one time a lawyer. Now, I know that as a lawyer, lawyers 
we don't necessarily take deposits, but you know what we do take? We take retainers. And for us, we're very familiar with the word retainer because it means as soon as I take this money to represent you, it's mine. Like uh, that is it. Now I'll start billing you. It's essentially the opportunity cost for us, which is what you're doing, what you're trying to show in your contract. So when it comes to saying deposit versus retainer, I like to use the language that's going to put my clients while neither one of them is like a magic word, I use the language that I know is going to put my clients in the best situation moving forward. Because if we've got a judge who's confused or who's old or who, you know, sees deposits like, oh, deposits are refundable. They're going to know though, that as lawyers in their experience, retainers are not because for us, most of the, most of the reason that lawyers take retainers is because when we take a client, we literally cannot take any client adverse to that client, like now or in the future, essentially. So we're putting it in the context for them to make it easy for them to agree with us. That is really smart. I never, ever looked at a contract that's going to be put in front of a judge at some point, like down the road, right? I always look at it as protecting my business. I mean, let's just be honest, against a client who maybe is in a disagreement with us. Yeah. Right? I never actually thought down the road of in front of a, a judge. Like that just never even, that makes so much more sense to me. Yeah. Well, because okay. today, you know, if your client disagrees with you, yes, I mean, it's terrible to get a bad review and it's terrible to have a client who's unhappy. But at the end of the day, what we're planning with we are illustrating our client experience using your contract, but we're also planning for a worst case scenario. When people become brain eating zombies and have lost all their minds and, <laughs> and, and are kind of just emotionally just wound up, you know, I am the most positive, uh, glad, you know, negative worst case scenario person that you'll ever meet, but we are constantly planning for those. And in the end of the day, a really a worst case scenario is a judgment. It's, it's going to court. That's kind of the be all end. Yes. Yes. That, that just makes so much more sense. Okay. So going to the middle of her question, talking about clauses that we should have and all like all that kind of stuff. Let me just dive deep into that, um, which is really getting at her question. And that's saying, what are clauses that you see that people will tend to come to you because their contract didn't have that clause and it could pose a risk to our business. Like what, I mean, obviously all the clauses are important, but are yeah. there some clauses you see that, that for whatever reason, us wedding pros sometimes don't have in our contract and would really help us? So I'm going to take this two ways because I'm going to take it from what people come to me for, which is, you know, that they want in their contracts that they say, oh, I don't have this. And then yeah. I'm also going to do the things that I find, uh, kind of spoonful of sugaring it, uh, helping the medicine oh, down where, where I'm saying like, Hey, I know you came to me for this, but like, these are all the other things that we really need to have in here too. Um, perfect. So recently, I mean, everybody knows last year, the whole COVID situation, it was force majeure clauses. I don't think we need to talk any more about that at this point. I mean, maybe we, if you do <laughs> come to me individually and I will send you literally like an entire blog and sub websites worth of material um, that I have, <laughs> that I've, that I've yeah, got. I mean, we've heard of that like crazy. Make sure we have it in our, in our contract for sure. Yes. And and fortunately, like you do have contract templates and guides, which are fam fabulous. And I did put that link up there. So if you're looking for something like that for your industry within Wedding Pros, definitely check it out. But go ahead, Carolyn. 
you're the sweetest. Thank you so much. I, um, yeah, we, when people come to me, a lot of it last year was the whole force majeure situation. Now it's kind of moving forward this year. It was like, okay, well, how do we move forward with potential variants? And honestly, your force majeure and your planning, you can put whatever you want in there. So you can plan now. And um, that way you'll have a, a roadmap because your clients are looking for that. I know when I got married, we did a very small wedding um, this past summer and kind of quickly organized. And I was looking for that for my vendors, even though I knew like legally what was going to happen. I still wanted to know that my vendors were putting it in there. So go ahead and put mm. that in. Um, the, the next thing that a lot of people have started coming to me recently about, and we had it written in for a while. And then I started taking it out, you know, like eight ish years ago when I started practicing, I had stuff in about, you know, sexual harassment and verbal abuse and things like that. Then it kind of faded out for a while and, and we didn't feel like we had to have that as much, but then people started coming back about it. And it's more of like health and safety now, as opposed to, um, just, just sexual assault, not just sexual assault because it's a huge deal, but no, no, we're course. putting all that in there together under the umbrella of safety. Um, and that's also things like, I'm not going to, it, maybe you are medically fragile. Maybe you live with someone who's medically fragile and you can't be in a room with 800 people with masks off. So putting those kind of clauses into your contract, I would say now is the perfect time to kind of think through that, especially because we're getting ready to move into engagement season and you're going to want to have those contracts ready to rock and roll. Like it's going to be nuts guys. 2022 is going to be insane. So yeah, I think that's a really good flag or a point or um, action item really that everybody in this room and everybody listening in the future to this replay really, really should consider doing ASAP. I know that December is sort of a downtime for most wedding pros in terms of not having active weddings going on. I do, but some people do in December, but for the most part, it's my down season. And don't wait until January, February, when all the craziness of, of booking starts happening. Get these things in place now. This is a great, great action item. And even if you have not updated your, most people have, but if you have not updated your contract since COVID, clearly that's a, a red flag. You definitely want to do that. But I always take and look at my contract every year just to be sure that I can make sure that I'm covered, that my clients know what's expected of me, what's expected of them. And it's really starts the relationship off on the, on the best foot. Absolutely. It should be an extension of your brand. You should have, you know, and I'm not saying put like, we love you so much. You're the best. Like, don't put that language in there, but it should be, it should show your, the way that you're going to work with your clients and it should sound like you. And, um, it shouldn't be super repetitive. Like if you have this really polished high end brand, because you're going after luxury clients, they're going to want to see that in their contract too. You know, oh, they're going to, yes. it really does reflect on you. So it's the perfect time to do that right now. Just like get yourself a glass of eggnog or hot shot, whatever you want to drink um, in an, on a night and like tuck in and just kind of go through your client or through your contract line by line to see what's going on there. Um, I might, oh, do I have a, I may have a download of that. Uh, I can I send that to you. Then. 
You might. You might. If you don't, let definitely send it to me. I'll share it in our Facebook group. For anybody in the room that is not part of our Facebook group for Wedding Pros on Clubhouse, definitely go do that because we do share a lot of good content in there. Um, Let's go ahead and stick with contract. I've got two more questions on contract and then we'll dive into LLC. And reminder, if you guys have any questions, make sure you raise your hand so we can get to your question. I am only going to be keeping Caroline on for the next probably till uh, like 40, 45-ish. And so um, make sure if you're going to have a question to raise that hand. Okay, so let me read through the next question. I'm not sure if you've answered part of it. Um, Over the years, I've heard many times that some things in our contracts may not even matter and that they won't hold up even in court. I've had things in my contract that in just one or two times that I've had them challenged in 30 years, I have been threatened that they won't hold up in court. I'm feeling nothing is ever certain. And I guess we have to kind of accept that. I know that that is a really long comment, but I hope that makes sense, she said. It makes total sense. It's very true. Um, The the fun thing about being a lawyer and also the very frustrating thing is that laws are constantly changing. Um, The oh, this isn't enforceable. A lot of times you'll hear that about non-refundable clauses just because it has to be set up a certain way. You know, you need to set it up to show that it is, like I was talking about, that it's compensating you along the way. So that 50-50 split that I know that, look, I know y'all are going to use it. I am just going to say like, I would much rather see a 25-25-25-25% payments along the way as you get closer to the event day. Um, But I know it's not going to happen. So I have met my piece with it. I know you're not going to do it. It's 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 a pain in the butt, I know. Um, but if you take your payment like that, it's going to be a lot more enforceable because it looks like you are compensating yourself along the way. Um, that's probably where a lot of that pushback for... Um, okay, so wait a second. Let me from, stop you real yeah, quick. Let me stop you ahead. real quick. Yes, the majority of us do, myself included, down and 50% at the end. Oftentimes, I will go ahead and break it up into three or four because it makes it more um, affordable for my clients. Yeah. So so talk to me a little bit about what you mean by four. Why do you feel that's better? So if you break it down into more payments along the way that become non-refundable, as they are due, right? So maybe we have where somebody books you two years out. Let's say you're a photographer. Someone books you two years out from the event. If you require 50% upfront, non-refundable retainer, whatever, non-refundable retainer clause, then you get the other 50%, like, you know, however, 15, 30 days before whatever Mm -hmm. they're asking for. Um, If someone cancels, you know, six months, a year in, you're going to have a really heck of a hard time convincing that judge along the way, just because they're going to say like, okay, well, this year, this, this event's still a year off. Like, what have you actually done? And you're going to say- That would constitute the full, yeah, no, no. Yeah. That, that makes a lot. And that's the thing that people have been talking about a lot is that, well, my it's in my contract, it's enforceable. Well, okay. But like you just mentioned, it's going to be in front of a judge. Yep. So, so the judge is the one who really decides if it's they enforceable, are. right? 
Yeah, they are. And what a lot of people don't know, and honestly, you know, I, I didn't know this before I went to law school, but not everything your case isn't going to be in front of a jury. It's not going to be, it is literally some old crotchety guy who's just graduated from traffic court. Who's just like, <laughs> not always, but a lot of the times, and they're going to be just saying like, mm, you know, my eggs were late this morning. I'm in a bad mood. I don't want to deal with this in your general district yeah. court. That's what it is. It is the wild west. So you really need to set it up to make yourself look as good as possible and as, as much of following the rules or following the best practices as possible, because already they're going to be construing a contract against you simply because you are the business and the drafter of the contract. It is well-established like case law law that floats around in the, in the air because not all laws are written down. Um, it is well-established that if you are the drafter of a contract and there is ambiguity in that contract, it's your fault. You got You're the one that has to deal with the ambiguity. It's going to be construed against you. So say, you know, I had, you owe me $10,000 in one place and 5,000 in another. And I drafted that contract and gave it to a client. And the client was like, Oh, well it says 5,000 here. I was like, yeah, well it says 10,000 there. And then we take it to a judge and the judge says like, Oh, well, Miss, Miss Fox, you're the one that, that drafted that contract. So I'm going to rule in favor of the, uh, the client here because it sucks for you. You're the one that, that wrote it wrong. Oh my gosh. That yeah. is a really good point. That is a really good point. Um, and I, and I believe I, you definitely answered it. It's not so much about what's included and what's not included and what stands up and what doesn't stand up. As long as it's legally enforceable, you're going to be reliant upon the judge that is in court that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you can always appeal, but appeals are a lot more expensive um, than your typical, because typically a general district court, you're going to be seeing into the twenties, maybe $50,000 worth of, of money that you're going after, depending on your state, anything above that, you're going to be going to the next court up. Um, and it's, they're called so many different things based on your state, but you just have your like bare, bare bones trial court. That's the baby court. And then above that, you usually appeal up. Um, in Virginia, it's general district and then it goes circuit. A lot of other places, it's a bunch of other stuff. But <laughs> um, once you bump up and move up, that's like the big games. That's where you're like, I wear pantyhose, black high heels. You know, it is, it's on. It's on like can And you have to be prepared. You have to be so prepared. There's a whole extended discovery process. And discovery is, I'm going to ruin everybody's like movie viewing and uh, law and order viewing. But um, <laughs> discovery is when literally when you go to court in those, in the higher up courts, people say, all right, turn over every single document you have, everything you got. We want to see it, yada, yada. Um, and so there's no surprises, unfortunately. So, but that means everybody gets to go through your stuff beforehand and you have to produce it and it's expensive and annoying. So it's not we, worth the time and the headache and everything it is else. Not, <laughs> it is not, it is not going to be worth it. So we want to avoid all that, you know, and honestly we want to avoid going to court anyway. So if there Ever. is ambiguity, we want to get rid of that because I want to be able to walk up to somebody and say like, Hey, I'm actually in a case like this right now where it's like, I'm walking up to the other one. I'm like, dude, do you really you really want us to have to sue you because literally everything in this contract, there is zero ambiguity here. This, this is, yeah, there's no holes in this questions yeah. in this contract. 
yeah, I was like, this girl, like, not only did I draft this contract, but the girl that was, uh, that's the client that's trying to recover money here is the most thorough person I have ever met in my life. She's an engineer. And I'm like, there is absolutely no way, sir. So, um, yeah, <laughs> let's settle grass. for your sake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're giving it a, they're not gonna, we're not going to move, go to court. I don't think, I think it's going to be very easy to take care of. Perfect. Okay. Well, Christy popped up. So before I get to the other questions, let's go ahead and let Christy go ahead and ask her question. She's a wedding and event planner, designer, stylist, and decorator and a certified ordained minister, I believe. So Christy, you're the master of all trades. Hello. Um, Are you answering specific scenarios? Um, you know, not super specific, but if you can give me just a general idea of some hypothetical situations, I could definitely help you help you kind of look at the options at least. And if it's a little too specific, I'll bump it back. Yeah, okay? I was gonna say let's bump it back, Caroline. Mm-hmm. Just you know, let's let's not set anything up here. <laughs> let's be yeah, let's be mm-hmm. hypothetical okay. in this situation. Um, Nothing about me or my you know my friend. It's more hypothetical. Uh, hypothetical. Okay. Um, apologize. Wait a second. Uh, Okay, sorry, I had a phone call coming. Okay, um, um, do I, I've had it suggested that I should do this in an email versus my contract, but I'm thinking for it to be legally, it needs to be in my contract because I've had a situation where, and I've been doing this for like 22 years, um, where a client proceeded to book me for an event, and then um, it anybody in our industry would know that, you know, a standard uh, uh, time frame of decorating is like around four hours. I walked into a baby shower with one hour to decorate mm-hmm. and did not well. know that ahead of time. And I, um, I had actually had that conversation with her during our consultation where, you know, we need a minimum for a baby shower of two to three hours. Mm-hmm. And it, it did not go well. It did. The, it was just blew it right out of the water. Yeah. So do you think Caroline that um, putting um, a four hour time frame for decorating in her contract would be the way to go with this or email like she has been told to do? So I'm going to kind of, even go back a little bit further than that. Um, I'm going to, well, not like I'm going to, no I'm going to scope out and then we'll go back, back in. But so what I think is important is the first thing that you said. Um, it's anybody in our industry knows that it's going to take X number, X amount of time. So what I encourage you to do is to remember that the people who are booking you, your clients, they're not the experts. They are not going to know. They don't know up from down. They don't know a shivari chair from a, I don't know what another kind of chair is. Look at you with your lingo. <laughs> you know, they don't know. They, they have no idea. So part of what you're doing as an expert is you are guiding them and telling them what they have to do. So that being said, we're going to work that into not only our client experience, but if it is something that can impact your ability to do your job and that you have got to get your client's cooperation to execute, I would say it needs to go in a contract because 
you have to make sure they know that they are obligated to do X, Y, or Z in order for you to do your job. Because um, otherwise, if it's just in an email, if it's just in um, some other area, uh, it might not count. You know, it, that might not matter. And having that in writing in your contract, not only are you going to be able to go back to it and say like, hey, I told you that I need this amount of time, but you're going to be able to say if they are unhappy with your services or if they want a refund or if they want whatever, you're going to be able to look back in it and say like, we had this discussion, I put it in the contract, and then I followed up by email. Like, you know, I did it multiple times. I discussed with you multiple times. This is a, and this is the legal word for it, and I promise I don't talk like this all the time, but <laughs> it's, called, it's a condition precedent to you doing your job. And that means if I'm to do my job, then this must happen. If, it's like an if-then statement. For me to do my job, you have to do yours. So yeah, I would put it in the contract. Smart, but I love that you said that, Caroline, because I think we as wedding pros um, aren't always so good on the business side of things sometimes. And oh my God, I'm a lawyer. We're, we're terrible. Yeah, we care about client experience. We're on the phone with them. We want to be helpful, but I love that you're saying, make sure it's in your conversation in the consultation, then make sure it's in your contract, then make sure that you send a reminder via email that you're going to need that. So build that into the timeline. Like that just leaves no crap from happening because you're continually communicating. And I can imagine no matter who the judge is, if they see that you've had that built into your process, these multiple reminders, as well as in the contract, it would be more likely to go your way on that. It for sure it will. And you always want to tee yourself up and set yourself up just so you look as good as possible. And that's one of the ways of doing it. And then also, and I say this, you know, I didn't, I don't want to ever come across like, oh, you need to be and say like, oh, you're not doing your job because you didn't tell somebody X, Y, or Z. Here's the thing. We that's not what I'm trying to say. We do our jobs from day to day, and I do this too. And you love your clients, and you do your jobs, and it seems so simple by the time that we do it. Or certain little things, well, certain things seem simple. Let's put it that way. The things yeah. that you do every day, the things that come second nature to you, but it's because you're the expert. And that's one of the things that makes you so good at your job because you know these things. And because you have had the experience, and because you um, know that it's going to take that much time. You know, like if I'm decorating for a baby shower, I'd probably walk in there like 30 minutes beforehand and be like, all right, cool, where's my balloon garland blower up or, you know, so, um, I would just encourage you to use all of that amazing built up skill to guide your con guide your clients in your contract. And then also CYA in your contract, remove yes. the assumption, remove the assumption that they think you're going to do that. Remove the assumption that you assume they're going to do that. Remove the assumption. And and because yeah. and, you're not having a business with yourself, if you were have if you were booking yourself, what would you want this contract to state? How would you want it lined out? It doesn't matter if your contract's seventy five pages long, as everything is listed in there. There's very little to go back on. So remove the assumption and use those terms, as Caroline just said. Business one on one. Business one on one. Clarity is kind. Clarity is kind. I have one more question. Uh, okay. Is one more is a recording on Zoom legal? You're going to have to give me a little bit more information than that. Like, is it in like, every is it consultation I have with my, my initial consultation with every client that I work with, I do a zoom recorded phone call. 
Okay. And I I actually do ask their permission to record the conversation. If you're asked their permission to record it, I mean, you're allowed to record it. Can that be part of your discovery or things that you take to court? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you can always, that would be something that you would, that would be like an evidence thing that you would take with you if in a worst case scenario. Um, However, in your contract, there is usually something in a, in a good contract, there is usually a clause that says entire agreement. And you want that in there because again, we're cutting out ambiguity. We're keeping things in the four corners of that document. There's usually a clause that says entire agreement. um, And it's going to say, look, everything before or after this contract, like if it's not in this contract, it doesn't matter. We are agreeing to this. This is all that counts in this universe. And if it's not in this contract, it's not happening. If it is in this contract, that's the law of the land. Mm, that, that, yeah, that conversation might not help you as much as you think it will if the things that you're trying to enforce are in the contract itself. Got it. Okay. So yeah, being in the contract, your original question, Chris, Christy, is that yes, it should be in the contract, especially yeah, it's just, if, if, that, it's just gonna, that. if it's just going to fall into the practices mm-hmm. of like, it's like, hey, you know, you agree that you're going to have a 90 minute phone call with me three weeks prior to the event for details. So it's just the way that it works with you. So this is what's required to work with me. Recorded Zoom conversations. And it's part of the entire agreement, just like she said. Okay, now, Stephanie, before we get to your question, I want to ask the last question on contracts, and then you can ask your question. If anyone else has questions, now is the time to raise your hand. Um, And then after Stephanie, if no one has raised their hand, I will go ahead and dive with a couple questions on LLC. So, Stephanie, hold on one second. All right, so here's one of the questions. If there is a change to the contract, i.e. they add or take away something, maybe they want to add time. What is the best way to legalize those changes? And what if the changes are like, what if it's only for a week later? Like, let's say the wedding is next week. Do you want to, first of all, how do you handle a change? Do you do an addendum? Do you update the contract, et cetera, et cetera? I I think I already know the answer, but also beyond that what if it's really close to the wedding yeah there's so there's a gold star there's a best case scenario then there's like some option you've got options here um i would say well the first thing you need to do is you need to look at your contracts as is because a good contract will tell you how you have to amend the contract. There are, uh, this is one of the things that people come to me and they're asking for one thing. And I'm like, Hey, we need to put all this other extra fine print in there. Um, <laughs> the, stuff at the, the stuff at the very, very end is very boring. It is so dry, but it is all, it is the most important like procedural stuff essentially that'll tell you how to change things, how to um, contact somebody if you have a problem, how to um, where you guys have to go. If you, get into an argument and have to go to court. Like you can pick where you get sued. And that's all in that last little bit with those questions. So I would look first there because there will be something that says like amendments to this contract must be made in writing. Um, Sometimes it'll be like must be made in writing and signed by the parties, must be made in writing and approved by the parties. I try to write my contract so that they say like must be made in writing writing and confirmed by the other party. Um, Because I know that a lot of what my event professionals are doing is over the internet. It's over email. It's over text. It's over whatever. Um, So I want to make it 
possible for them to change things. But um, that's neither here nor there. If your contract says must be agreed, changes must be agreed to in writing and signed by the parties, that means you have to either write on a napkin or write on a little like uh, PDF DocuSign thing or whatever and get them to sign off on it really quick. Um, just saying something like, we had an agreement that was signed on this date. We want to change this part. Now, this is what we say. Like now this is how it's going. That is kind of your very, very bare bones uh, form of an amendment. I really like to have an actual, obviously a, a full blown like drafted amendment that says like, here are the parties. If there's confusion between the clauses, this uh, agreement governs the changes, that kind of stuff. But um, if you are in a situation where you are running around and maybe the day of the event, the couple wants to extend their coverage by two hours, it's going to be another, I don't know, thousand Which happens a lot. It does happen a lot. And so you need to be able to have something in your back pocket that's going to help you out or at least like cover you enough or give you a fighting chance of being covered in a worst case scenario. So what I would recommend is I would recommend having some sort of, um, there's, there are so many apps that can do this where you simply type up, Hey, this contract is going to be changed like this. They're extending two hours. You know, we assigned a contract for 10 hours. They're extending to 12, have them sign it. That's going to be your best bet in like a kind of like a time crunch situation. That's perfect. So that when you go to invoice them after, there's no question that Absolutely. money is due. Yeah. It's like, you, it. if you were drunk, your money's still due. <laughs> exactly. Or the other thing I always have that is like the mom will say, I want to extend it and I'll pay for it. What do you do mm -hmm. in that situation? Yeah. Um, that's interesting <laughs> because that's going to depend on They're who's signing the, the contract. contract. Yeah. Yep. So Do in that maybe situation, get permission from the couple and just yes. have them sign off on it and have mom pay. That's what I've done in the past, but I hopefully that's okay. Yeah. You definitely need to get, um, mom to sign off on that or sorry, the, the couple to sign off on it because because they're on the contract. They're the ones that are in the contract. Um, the individuals themselves have to be the ones to approve it. Perfect. All right, Stephanie, what is your question? Stephanie is a wedding and event planner in greater Seattle area. What's your question? Hello. Um, it was Hello. kind of along the lines of some of the stuff that's already been covered, but something that's been on my mind about contracts lately is I see a lot of talk on um, specifically wedding planner forums about certain situations that come up about scope of work um, and also kind of Ooh. like safe work environment. And just, I've seen a lot of really detailed things, um, whether like I was th put in this situation and there was a misunderstanding about what I was providing or about the meal that was gonna be provided or about the amount of time. And I always see planners say, well, that's my contract. Well, that's my contract. And I'm like, their contracts must be 15 pages long because like every <laughs> single scenario people say, oh, well, that's in my contract. I'm like, how can mm -hmm. you possibly cover every single possible detailed scenario about your scope of work and the expectation of what your working relationship is gonna be in a contract? And maybe that's me being naive and saying that, but I guess my question is, 
can your scope of work, does that count as contracted? Is that part of your contract, your scope of work, like literally the list of this is the expectation of what this project is going to entail? Or do you actually need to have like specific clauses for each and every separate detailed scenario? Like does the scope of work cover it or does it have to be covered by clause? I hope I'm making that clear. I think you're making it, I think I understand what you're asking. And it's interesting, I love that you're asking this question because that's kind of like my first big download um, freebie is scope of work. It's about scope of work and why you need to be so specific with it and what to walk through and the kind of questions you need to be asking. So that might actually be helpful for you. It's literally like you go to my website and it'll pop up at some point. Um, and it's like, because <laughs> like, I am very, very thorough about scope of work because I know that these things do happen. Now, do you have to go through every single scenario? No. Should your contract be long as a wedding planner? Yes. And here's why. Because if something goes wrong, you're going to get blamed for it. I mean, that's just the way it is. Wedding planners, you are like the, the captain of the ship, but also the one who is going to go down with the ship if something does go wrong. So um, I would really encourage you to sit and my, the process that I use and I walk through with clients on a regular basis, whether it is a wedding planner, whether it is my large agency clients, I work with creative agencies, whether it is, you know, my tech clients, we're walking through, um, document disclosures for startup funding. We walk through who, what, when, where, why, how, how many, how much, and we sit there and we think, okay, First one, who, how many questions can we come up with that around this contract that have to do with the word who? So we would be saying like, who are we doing this for? Who is allowed to make changes? Who is the client? Who is in charge of making sure that we get paid? Who is in charge of making sure we get food? Um, that kind of stuff. And some of it gets a little slap happy after a while, but you get the idea of the detail that you do really need to be addressing because especially as a wedding planner, there are so, so many plates spinning in the air at once. Um, and, and there are so many responsibilities that you have. So yes, I would put that in your scope of work. Your scope of work should be part of your contract because you need to be saying exactly what services you're providing, when you're providing them, who you're providing them to, that kind of thing. So have your normal contract and then a, a section within the contract that scope of work that would then get updated for each client is what you're saying. That is what I'm saying. And that's okay. the way that that's I That's a big protection, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I usually will put the whole contract and all the terms that I know are going to be the same every single time um, in the body of the contract. And then in Schedule A, that's my scope of work with all the hours, dates, times, Anything that's going to have due like a, dates. So yeah. due dates, anything that changes is going to go in there. And then that way also it's really helpful on the, from the administrative standpoint, because you're not having to go through a contract every time and like pulling stuff out here, moving stuff here, maybe missing words here. Oh, we, you know, in this kind of wedding, we do this, but in this one, we do this. So perfect. Administrative wise, you're also really helping yourself out. Does that help Stephanie? Yeah, I think so. And my scope of work is in my contract. I guess I just, my goal has always tried to be a, 
as least onerous in my contract as possible, kind of for the ease of everyone. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking I might be doing myself and my business a disservice by trying to simplify things too much. Um, it's just a matter, I think, of finding the balance of what becomes this big um, intimidating legalese contract that clients start to get suspicious of because people can get really turned off when you start getting really, really contracty. Um, Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. but also making sure that I am appropriately legally covered. So, um, you know, I, I will put out there that um, before I started using uh, Caroline's contract, I was very, very, very worried about the same thing, Stephanie. I was like, this is like more than one page. People are going to be like overwhelmed. But I literally only had one client in the last two years that asked about any portion of the contract and what they were asking about was ridiculous. It was a nice big red flag for me not to book them. So it worked out in my favor. Um, but I, I would, I would really side. My personal opinion is I will side on protection of my business, um, before ease, for someone to sign, you know, and what I on mean? the other side of that, clients will love the fact that you have all that covered. Where you yeah, may get those clients, what... right? You may get those clients. You say, "Oh my God, it's all this." That's a red flag that they're going to be one of those people that get in those closets. Yes. On the other side, here's these people that will say to you, "Oh my God, Bobby, I'm so glad you have a safe working Thank environment clause. So this is yes. what I want. Thank you for doing that. I don't have to come to you and ask a question." And at some point, we can all stand up here and just preach on Instagram, "Hey, this is what I stand for. This is what I do." Your contract back that and it backs the entire team and everything that you do so if it's a 35 page contract it's a 35 page contract i mean it's just that's what it's going to be to do business and if you start off clean people will appreciate the fact that you're legitly running a business and that you have had these issues and that now you know how to work around them and cover them and it protects them and they're going to feel better along the way thank you i think as a planner you can also because you do have to be the master of the everything going on so by showing that you're thinking about all of the stuff in your business that are gonna that could possibly happen in advance you're also kind of in a way it's like you're proving to your client like wow i think about this stuff and i'm gonna think about you too yep got your back just as much and that's what clients appreciate does that help stephanie Awesome. Okay, um, Michelle, we'll go ahead and and go to you. Michelle is also, can you imagine an event planner? (laughs) (laughs) Michelle, what's your question? Hi, what a great room. This is so important. Okay, so gosh, I am a bit in a pickle. And I if I were telling someone else advice, I know what I would tell them. But when you're in the position, it's super hard. Um, I have a wedding that's coming up. We're very close. Um, it's a budget issue and money at the end. I'm less than a week away and I do not have all the money. And they straight up have told me they don't have the money. So I have helped them get a credit card. I've introduced them. They, and it's a hot, it's a very expensive wedding. Like it, it's a very, very expensive wedding. So we're still about 100000 out. And I told them, they're like, well, the budget's over. You know, this is just what I told you, the items that you asked me for, what they cost. You don't have to have all these items. I'm just telling you what things cost that you asked me about. So but then she said, but I want them all. So here we are, and we're a week out. Um, I don't have my money. I don't want to stop. I actually think that they're going to get the money, but 
gosh, what a whirlwind I'm in with a week out and I don't have money for all the vendors. And if I had to play hardball, if I walked away right now, I mean, could I get sued later? Um, so it's going to depend on what, it depends on a lot of things. Um, I would say, I mean, have you signed any contracts with vendors? Because if so, then yes, there's serious issues that could happen. Um, if not, that's a good start. Um, I, I definitely think there is potentially, I mean, people can sue you for anything. Like you can sneeze on people and they can sue you. Um, whether they're going to win is a different story, but, uh, I think if I were you, what I would do, I've worked with some, some luxury planners and they've been in a very similar situation and deciding like, do I need this for my portfolio or do I walk and, and because like, do I risk it for the portfolio or do I leave? Um, and I think that's a decision that you have to make. You have to kind of evaluate for yourself. But if you do decide to move forward, know that there is definitely potential risk for you um, in having to, to deal with the aftermath. Well, yes. And so for me, I, I mean, the money, the there's only a few vendors and I've done this so long and my vendors love me. And they know that I, I'm very honest with them. I call them and I tell them what the situation is. Um, there's only a few, like it, I might go backwards, 4,000, 6,000, maybe $10,000. If, if I have to pay vendors that I signed like for chairs and I need to get the chairs. Oh, you signed? Really, yeah. So it would, Ooh, yeah. On the, I don't, yeah. I, I don't care about that. That's not what bothers me. It's more about the, the 60, 80,000 for things that they, um, you know, that they, they don't have money for. We haven't even booked them yet. Like I haven't fully booked them. Like today they, they wanted to hire a band, but I don't have the money for it. And I've told my friend that I'm getting it from, like, we don't have the money yet. But at what point do I just walk away? Do I say, do you say, Hey, we're kind of done, you know, it's yeah, that's, oh. that's, yeah, I think that you're in a really, really tough position. Honestly, uh, I would be very concerned that you knowing the finances and knowing I mean, if I was a couple and I was a couple's lawyer or I'm sorry, if I was a business's lawyer and I would say like this wedding planner knew that there was money, there were money issues. They knew there was no money. And they still kept booking and they still kept doing it. So they're contributorily liable for Ooh. this fee. Um, so I would be very, very cautious and careful simply because Not sign anything else. <laughs> yeah. Never sign. Yeah. Whenever you can possibly don't sign stuff on behalf of your couple, because you now are liable for the amounts of those contracts as the signatory. Um, but, and then don't sign anything else. Now here's a question. What if they, and this is where I'm trying to figure it out. And this is where probably your luxury planners are trying to make their decisions. Mm -hmm. I have about 20,000 that they've given to me so far for my payment. I charge 15%, but there's a good like 30,000 more based on what they, you know, their current budget is right now. That's due to me. So when they give me money, how do I, can I legally just go, okay, well this, this 5,000 is going to go to my budget and then I pay everyone else. So that's, that's the tricky part. It is. And honestly, I really would, I would potentially consult with a lawyer on this one. Um, yep. just because you really want to make sure you are being very, very careful, um, with potentially not getting involved in like, you know, not racketeering, but like, 
I was going to go right down that path too. <laughs> yeah, you, I, was, I was going right down. You're like, I'm here, I'm, I'm here. I'm saying, yeah. Michelle, I think for the protection of this room and our Wedding Pros Club and everyone listening and everything else, I think this is a situation that Caroline had brought up in the very beginning of the room that I think you should definitely go talk to an attorney um, on how to handle that stuff. I think it's amazing that Caroline was here to let you know that there's some and and it's good for everyone in this room to hear that there are some things that you could be doing out of the goodness of your heart to help your couple that could come back and put you in legal jeopardy that you never would have imagined. I think this is a great example for, I mean, sad, Michelle, that you're going through this, but it's a great example of sometimes when you're being thoughtful and nice to your clients, you can actually put yourself in legal peril. And that's, that's that's bad. So oh, for sure. I think I think it's safe for right now to um, definitely Michelle have you consult with an attorney on this because this is a, a tough situation. Yeah, and if you need a referral, let me know, and um, I can. I have people across. You know, we have a we have a spreadsheet um, that, I, that we might be able to help you out and find somebody. Thank oh, you. Great. Yes, I think it's time. Thank you. Awesome. And I appreciate, Michelle, that you trusted us in this room enough to come up and ask that question because I I would hazard to say that probably a lot of us have gotten in that situation again out of the goodness yeah. of our heart and trying to serve our, our clients because um, that's just craziness, Caroline, what you're talking about could potentially happen. It's just Oh, it happens a lot. Ooh. It happens a lot. You would be surprised. Okay, so what was that term again, Carolyn, that you said? Um, well, it was a terrifying word, and it just my mind blew up, and I can't remember. Racketeering. Oh, not the yeah. racketeering. The other yeah. word that if I if I'm try, if I'm asking people for quotes or talking about the event, but we don't have the money, I could be. Sorry. Oh, uh, you could be contributory. I don't not contributory. That's not really what I like. Contributory liability um, is saying like. I didn't do it, but I'm also kind of involved, you know, like I, I knew about it and I, I shouldn't have done it. So I would definitely just be concerned about that. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move. Yeah. Thanks so much, Michelle. Let's go ahead and move into, we've gotten a lot of, a lot of questions on LLC. So, um, let me read one question that was from uh, a member of our group and also an educator of ours. Does a brand already under an LLC always need to be a DBA? Without doing so, would that brand be considered a proprietorship by default or just a product line by the LLC? That's a great question that I think, well... I kind of, I really want to go into this um, a little bit deeper, but I do have a hard stop because I have a call at four. But um, what I think you would have to do is, uh, you, we would need more specifics here to figure out what's going on. I would always, if you're representing yourself as like a sub brand, um, d always say to get the DBA. I mean, it's like probably 10, 15 bucks, nothing crazy. So I would go ahead and do that. Um, However, if it's just a product line and you're saying like, you know, my product or, or chapstick by whoever this is, I'm looking at a thing of chapstick right now. I don't know. <laughs> chapstick by Pfizer, you know, chapstick 
isn't necessarily its own company. It's owned by Pfizer. Um, I mean, it actually might be, but you wouldn't have to, it, you could be Pfizer doing business as Chapstick essentially and be fine. Okay, perfect. Um, and then we've got Natalie up that's here. That's Natalie's um, question. I'll, yep, that's oh, Natalie's that question. Natalie's? I thought that was yes. Her name. Natalie? Go, Natalie, Natalie Lasha. Oh, no. I, I know, yeah. Cause she was really wa I know she really wanted to know that question. Natalie? I, we can't hear you at all. So now that she fixed that real quick, since we're on replay, let's try until we get her back. So Caroline, she's a dress designer. So I know that she has her brand and she has a couple different brands. And so she is always there. Oh, Natalie, you got it? Nope. I can't hear her. Sorry. That's all right. We'll keep going for the replay just so that maybe she can hear it. So, so, it's, so she has a dressmaker designer and she has a couple brands underneath it. She is her brand. Can she just keep doing DBAs along the line? Like I know she has two separate companies, but her main thing is, can yeah. I continue to grow as DBAs or do I need to break everything off to be protected? So if you are operating as an LLC and you do DBAs, essentially what you're doing is you have a, it's like giving your company a nickname. So yes, you can continue to do that. However, I would just caution you that if something happens to one brand, it's going to affect the other one because they're all still in that, in that same big bubble together. It's just a nicknamed bubble. Um, so it, it depends on the, the risk and the potential liability, uh, that you see yourself having. Okay. So let me go ahead and ask another question. And then yeah. if, uh, Natalie, if you have, if you want to dive deeper or have a follow-up question, just go ahead and send a message to Bobby and she'll yep. ask it for you. Sorry. Yeah, I just, I, could, I, cause I, just I do have a hard stop at four. I'm really sorry. I have a, another call that I have to jump on with a, a bunch of other lawyers actually. So go ahead. Go ahead. I'm so well, sorry. It's 1258. No, you're good. <laughs> I'll ask one more question then because it is 1258 and I only wanted to keep you for 45 minutes, but you know, you're, you're kind of popular. Um, <laughs> so I had a lot of questions from people saying, I've been told to get their lips, let's just say a wedding, um, a wedding planner. And they were told to get an LLC to protect them and their business. And then their accountant says, I heard this from somebody not me, but my accountant says that um, I should just stay as a sole proprietor. Why? why? So obviously two different professionals mm -hmm. potentially disagreeing. Um, but why don't you tell us the reasons why an LLC would be important and yeah. or when you should maybe not do an LLC and just stay a sole proprietor, if at all? All right. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to pop right off. But the... Um reason you should, I mean, there has been one time in my entire eight years of practice that I've told somebody not to become an LLC. And the reason I like to have people become LLCs is because it provides a bubble of protection to your personal assets. If you're a sole proprietor operating, you don't get any protection. People can go after your personal assets. Um, it is very simple to file LLC paperwork and it's generally inexpensive unless you're in California and then everything's expensive. Um, but <laughs> So, you know, if you're in California, maybe consider it and be a, a sole proprietor, maybe a little bit longer. But um, generally speaking, we really want to make sure that all of our assets are protected and that um, we are 
making sure if something goes wrong with the business, people can't come after our house or our car or our bank account. And with that, I am going to jump off. I'm so, so sorry. I don't love No, doing, don't apologize. Um, I got to go I get my to do 45 minutes. Have my a other wonderful people. day. Thank you so um, I thank, thank you so you. much, Caroline. Thank Bye. you guys so much. Thanks, Bye. Bye. So if anybody wants some additional information as Caroline pops off, you can go ahead and visit her at Engaged Legal um, on Instagram. You can check out her website. You can, um, I did put a link in there for her contract templates. They are very effective and really affordable from what I've seen out there. Um, and I adore her. So any follow-up questions, definitely send a message to her Instagram. And um, I hope everybody has a good day. Any last thoughts, Bobby? Nope, same thing. I mean, it's if, if you're looking to start a contract, start here. And then you oh, can grow sure. with it. And then take it to your local city ordinance and have them take a look at everything. But she really does cover the bulk of the wedding industry, things that for have sure. come up because she's out on the speaking circuit. She hears these things. Uh, this is one of the reasons why her booth is always so popular when we're at wedding MBA or someplace, because she takes this information and she compiles it. So, and she's updating. And so when there's a new clause or something happening, she has updates, like she has addendums that you can get yes. and go. And she's easy to ask a question to while she's a lawyer she still listens and you can't, you know, she's not, she's not going to charge you a bunch of money, but she's going to get there and work with you. So that's, that's why you want to continue working with her. So thank you. Yeah, everybody. And actually um, I'm in California where it's really complicated and I yeah. got one of her contracts and had my personal attorney look at it and said it was phenomenal. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's obviously good. you want to do the same for your area as well. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, if you missed the beginning of this, you can re-listen to it on replays on the Wedding Pros Club. Have a great day. Bye. That's it for today. I hope you have a fantastic day. Get out there and do something good for your business. And if you get a chance, leave me a review or subscribe. I'd love you to come back.